Welcome one and all to another episode of Left Turn Canada. Andy Burkowski, Christo Avalis here. And you might remember a couple weeks ago, Christo and I talked about kind of the ever-changing landscape of culture here in Canada, but also just kind of generally in North America and maybe even the Western world, where there seemed to be an understanding between the powers that be, whether they're centrist or more right-wing or, or more barbarous in a way you can't even imagine, that instead of actually dealing with making our material reality better and facing the challenges that we face in this pandemic world as late capitalism kills us, the real battle will be about who can beat up and destroy the those that need perhaps the most protection among us, those that are persecuted needlessly. And, and this was all kind of uh, precipitated on the idea that now the fight is about either hating or throwing to the wolves transgender, non-binary, just anyone that is labeled different beyond the paradigm and is proud of it and wants to be protected by the law because of that. So we, we talked about how this is, you know, this is now the shift in how the combat will be. The right wing will do whatever they can. terrain for the left. Yeah, yeah exactly. Because like there's a lot of pressure now. Mm -hmm. One, because it, this for a lot of folks, this is a new thing to them. Even folks that are well-intentioned, this is a new thing right it's yeah. like lgbtq issues maybe 30 years ago or something for a lot of people it was new and there's a lot of pressure from people to like as you say not necessarily in all cases become aggressively transphobic but to sort of just let trans people twist in the wind yeah because you know we don't want to be too woke we don't want to be too sjw we don't want to do too that you know and so because we want to win a certain type of moderate voter we just basically have to tell trans people that, like, you know, we, we either can't help you or at the very least we, can, we can't publicly associate with you. And that's that's a big thing now. Mm -hmm. You're seeing that from a lot of people like uh, and so there's a lot of pressure to 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 to, to abandon trans people in the sense that, like, I I helping trans people uh, ignites the right wing. Which is also like the hilarity of this all is we're coming to terms we're, we're they're accepting the terms of their enemy here and assuming yeah, well, that exactly, if you yeah. if you throw these people to the wolves, then all of a sudden you'll win, which there's no like clearly that's not the case. Whereas the thing they're willing to do that. But the one thing they're never willing to do is maybe question capital and how it manifests power structures in our society like that can't happen. But if you are being attacked. You know, maybe you you have to be attacked so that we can win. You know, the these these horrible people, but we we need them to win. So it's just it, it it's a wrongheaded way of even looking at narratives. Like it doesn't really even make sense in its own terms, but it absolutely is the narrative push, and we're seeing that even here in Ontario. And of course, it's happening all throughout Canada. But this is a story that came out over the weekend. Uh, Clara Sorrenti, who is a very popular transgender woman Twitch streamer, uh, goes by the name of Keffels, was doxxed uh, a little while ago. And those that were harassing her hated so much her messaging of, you know, promoting transgender life and, and trying to help people that are in these circumstances being persecuted, that they sent fake 
doxing reports and fake threats to the London, Ontario city councillors through the police departments, the London police department believed that it was credible and decided to raid Miss Sorrento's home with, you know, their rifles and cut toe, not pistols. They brought out, you know, like the SWAT gear and, and you know, put her in front of a SWAT cannon and arrested like her. Literally swatting, like yeah. not just the colloquial, like police come. Like, literally, like, it wasn't just one officer in standard kit who knocked on the door and was like, you know, we've had some mm-hmm. reports. They, like, they they, they, they they swatted them as if, like, they were, like, taken down the Hells Angels or something, right? You know what I mean? Yeah, like, as if they were actually, there was a real threat. Even on the terms, again, that were presented, Yeah, they, they didn't need to, uh, you know, attack a home like that and have this woman see strange police officers in her home with rifles pointed at her. Anyway, she got arrested. They took all of her stuff. And all of this happened because of the things that, you know, she said online, on Twitch, promoting and, and helping people who are transgender and LGBTQ and and want protection and need a voice. The really interesting caveat here are the claims that Ms. Sorrento makes, Sorrenti makes, excuse me, that not only did Toronto police, but they're aware of swanning attempts and they told her and said, like, listen, someone's trying to fuck with you. We're going to investigate that because we know it's not true. But London police weren't even aware that maybe that was the case and instead did things like dead name her in the evidence gathering that were asking her if she was a she and, you know, what all these things meant and didn't even take, you know, the needed steps to consider, you know, maybe this isn't what it seems. Maybe this young woman who's a Twitch streamer isn't going to kill multiple city councillors. So even though it's bad. the letter, it said the letter was like written very poorly, Mm -hmm. full of a lot of spelling errors. And that, of course, doesn't necessarily necessarily mean it's not legit but it's just like it was weird right it was clearly like a low effort troll in a sense right yeah and and yeah as you note, there's dead naming also when they when they called uh uh keffel's uh mom they referred to them as their son you know i, oh, I don't I know if they dead that. named in that Jeez. case but but to you know to get you know the it's a it's a, you know pre-transition or what have you just all of all of this was a giant mess you know a mixture of 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 cruel and insensitive and after all of this you know for a while a lot of people were worried about them because they're very online as all of us we mm-hmm. uh, who who do not touch grass you know <laughs> so they're always they're always online and they couldn't get into their accounts because so much of their two-factor authentication was on the phone and computer that was yeah. taken from them. And so even though they weren't charged after being kind of like brought into the station, the, the cops kept their devices. I don't know for how long. I think they've just gotten them back. But they yeah. were basically unable to, 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 to get out there. They had to have like an alternative Twitter account and use friends and stuff to get their message out because they didn't have any way to like reach their, their community. Right. Like they couldn't mm-hmm. get onto their 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 main Twitter because, again, the the authentication was through their 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 phone at at, at the police station. It's just yeah. all of this was a giant mess. Yeah. And it, it's scary because the real hope of this was 
for this to happen, that this woman couldn't continue, you know, pushing these narratives that transgender people should be respected and should live and they're not groomers per se. Yet all of the narratives online that I've seen that are associated around this from anyone on the right or even on, you know, the clinically online is the idea that, you know, obviously this is not true. She wasn't going to do this, but she is a groomer and she should have been arrested. And just this narrative of introducing anyone that isn't like a cis white dude as a groomer, I think is like really such a weapon that's been used kind of unnecessary, obviously unnecessarily, but almost without any irony, considering the people that have introduced these ideas, you know, especially in the United States. Like, I'm, I'm pretty sure a lot of uh, people who would be considered, quote unquote, groomers have introduced the idea that anyone who is transgender is a groomer, anyone that, you know, wants to teach kids appropriate sexual health as a teacher is a groomer. So the, the scary thing is it, it yeah. works like the intention. But of here... course, I don't know if you saw this, the, the, the thing about this, and we should just make this very clear that of course there are people out there who are not nice to kids and we're not going to get into all this. What about but, but to, to be clear, a, a, a defining strain in all of this for people not familiar with the discourses, only, only queer people and trans people are groomers. Yeah, apparently. Like, that's right? the discourse here, right? <laughs> this is not somebody with a legitimate concern about, you know, adults uh, interacting with children, uh, you know, uh, teenagers, whatever, uh, in, in a manner that grooms them for certain sexual conduct or what have you. This is not good faith for the most mm -hmm. part. One common example, there was a great Twitter thread. It, this was weeks ago, but it was uh, somebody who uh, was following a high profile story where uh, I believe it was in the, it was either the States or the UK, but it's happened everywhere where a conventionally attractive teacher uh, rapes a student, a, a male student. Um, and it's portrayed as uh, this kind of like torrid scandalous affair, but like in a kind of like scandalous in a non-criminal way mm, where yeah. like the hot teacher sleeps with her student and it never uses the R word or even just the, the statutory, you know, rape word. They don't even put the statutory in there. They'll say like has teacher fired or in trouble after having sex with male student and all of that. And all of these men. Uh, for the most part, men in the comments were like, oh, where was that teacher? And I was, you know, what I mean? <laughs> all that kind of like, you know, the old South Park of episode, course. right? Yeah, yeah. Nice. <laughs> nice. Nice. Like, you know, but what they did is they went through all of these men's Twitter accounts and lo and behold, they have multiple, many of them, dozens in certain cases of calling any sort of LGBTQ person a groomer. Yeah. So, you know, a, a straight woman sleeping with a straight boy, uh, raping a straight boy, excuse me, uh, just just is cool shit. Mm -hmm. uh, trans people being like, Hey, let's like, let's do story time and maybe, uh, or a drag queen or drag King saying, let's do story time. That's grooming, right? Like yeah. it's fucking madness. Right. But you're right. It's about dehumanizing trans people and gay mm -hmm. people. hundred percent. That's what the whole grooming discourse is about. And it is interesting because I think you and I kind of do have a unique perspective. We operate on YouTube as our our primary professions, we, especially you, I think, have to be much more online. I get to hide behind doing pretty voices when talking about, you know, God of War characters. But the idea that you have to be so online that, you know, you, you have to for this career that we've chosen and this, you know, uh, endeavor and then to be so ruthlessly attacked in this way, like I feel like I would lose 
a lot of gumption. I, I feel like I wouldn't necessarily want I to mean, keep at it. My, but in Sorrenti's yeah. case, she's saying that, like, I'm only going to stop if you manipulate the police into killing me. That was one of the yeah, lines Yeah, it was she pretty said. badass. Yeah, she man. She basically holy. said, like, yeah, it was like an action movie thing. Where it's yeah. Like, Unless you manipulate them next time to pull the trigger, I'm not going anywhere. Jesus. Like, look, they're not saying, like, they're not terrified. They're not being, yeah. you know, the, you sto- like, they've, they've been very clear that this has been traumatizing. Uh, they have a GoFundMe. Maybe we can drop the link in there. I've made a donation yeah. personally. A GoFundMe to help them uh, build funds to immediately move wherever they need to go, because they say that because the way of the, the, the London police not have don't ha- not having a swatting policy, and then also um, just the way they acted, the way they treated her. Um, she's yeah, like, I can't live here anymore. There. I can't yeah. live. I, I assume I can't live in London. No, obviously we have no idea where she's going, and, and, we, and no one should know obviously but they need money to like move and then also to build a legal defense fund because clearly like you know this could become an issue no but like my position doesn't compare because like we're we're straight dudes on the internet look i've gotten hate Mm -hmm. i've even gotten people threatening in very loose terms violence or something but like like it's nothing Mm -hmm. and and in particular covering like mainstream political news even like the right wing like chuds like the maga people like it's not the same as like getting involved in like the online like the cert like the the super online culture right like like, like, I don't interact with, like, the right-wing streamers. Like, that's where it gets really toxic. Mm-hmm. Like, right? Like, I cover right-wing news, you know, all of that. But, like... It's, you're not in it, the trenches it, fighting them in the same exactly, sort of way. Exactly, yeah. right? It's like, unless you're, like, 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 like Keffels or a lot of other streamers, you know, you're not, you're not in these spaces. And I think that, like, that creates this kind of, like, environment for for harassment in some cases and again for everybody but in particular for anybody that's marginalized right people of color women non-binary people etc and i just just to end it off here on this story like the responsibility absolutely is within the right in north america that have decided that this is what they want to do instead of actually doing things to help the poor right wingers that that support them kind of ruthlessly and and without question this is what they'll give them they won't give them anything else but there's also a huge amount of responsibility for any sort of centrist representation that ever says whether it's a media apparatus or someone in politics that you know we shouldn't go too hard on the trans issues we shouldn't push it too hard because that allows this sort of violence this actual violence to be perpetrated without the sort of recompense that it needs to have so absolutely the right wing is responsible for this but also these groups that don't make it clear that you need the people need to be fucking protected and we need to help you know solve the situation we're in we're not going to give up a fucking inch and if especially if that inch is human lives like this like of course not like just stop done so anyways i think that's that's it for uh this sad tale she's going to be at it again and and probably even more intense than before uh, we'll have the yeah. link of course in the uh the show notes here if you do want to contribute uh, a little bit of happier news i don't know if you heard about this um Christo, but in Montreal, workers at an Amazon are looking to form the first union in Canada for Amazon and the second on the continent uh, already. 
we're hearing threats kind of subversely from uh, Amazon representatives talking about surveillance propaganda that almost immediately it will shut down <laughs> the the warehouse and, and move it to different areas in Quebec. And it's already, you know, coming out really intensely just when they mentioned, you know, the possibility of forming this union like they're so early in these efforts and already there's there's reports of intimidation harassment you know i i do wonder if this sort of union organization and i want your perspective on this will work in a place like you know montreal if we have the same sort of union busting um, culture <laughs> in the United States that's so famous. I would say, you know, in Atlanta, Canada, we certainly fucking do like that. That definitely exists. But w- what are your thoughts on the possibility of, you know, it would be a huge deal if the second Amazon union in North America was here in Canada in Montreal. Yeah, I mean, you know, Amazon's really interesting. I mean, it's been hard to organize, but these facilities require so much capital investment that yeah. it might it might be difficult for Amazon. No, I'm not saying anything's impossible, but like to close things down, like that kind of union busting thing. Because like there's that there's getting because one you gotta you gotta get everything organized, and then you gotta get a contract. But there's always the chance that they could close down. You've seen some Starbucks do that, mm-hmm. right? In, yeah. <laughs> in the U.S. Because you've seen in both Canada, but especially the U.S. You've seen a big rise. I, I think it's dozens by this point of Starbucks all over the U.S. organizing, and some of them have been closed down. Um, I don't know if that'll happen, but I, yeah, I think it would be absolutely massive to have mm. that organization in Canada. Uh, Quebec has some of the better labor laws in Canada, even though they have, you know, the CAQ, there's some of their laws are some of the best. So, um, uh, I think it would be massive. And I think that, uh, while there hasn't been a second unionized, uh, uh, Amazon yet, they had a vote shortly after the big victory and they, they lost right at yeah. a smaller facility also in New York. I, I think that one in Canada would have a big knock on effect. Of course, though, there are there are differences, right? Like the 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 the, the political climates, the demographic climates of, say, Montreal, mm-hmm. uh, a Montreal based one, say, versus one in Brampton might be different. And so organizational strategies and, and all that would, would be would be very different. But um, I, I certainly think it can happen. Hundred percent. Do you I mean, think Canada's it's harder? Higher... Yeah. Do you think it's harder to happen here than in the United States, or do you think it's you know we're all kind of under the same capitalist hellscape when it comes to uh, you know rhetoric against unions? I mean, I don't think there'd be a massive difference. I mean, one argument you could make is Canada sometimes does have sometimes better labor legislation depending on jurisdiction, making making it easier. Uh, a counter argument could be that if la- base labor standards are less shitty in Canada. Mm. It, ma- yeah. it, it, it it makes it uh, some people and I don't know if I agree, but this is like like, you know, if minimum wages are total shit in the U.S. Uh, and uh, the, the value of a union card is even higher, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, if if uh, if you don't have benefits, I don't even think Amazon, but if you don't have benefits in the U.S., there's like there's no there's no there's no Medicare for all. Right. Because we live in the bad line, timeline where Bernie didn't become president. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or, Damn. You know, we, we have dark Brandon who's, you know what I mean? But like, <laughs> yeah, but, um, you know, uh, the reality is like maybe a, a union card has even more value in the United States. On the other hand, I mean, historically, 
uh, Canada, Canada's higher union density than the U.S. And whether that's because it's easier or because people are more receptive, you just think on, on odds, maybe it's probably be easier or more likely in Canada because we do have higher density. Now, a lot of that is driven by higher public density, but, but nonetheless, the, 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 as a percentage of our society, uh, quite a bit more Canadians are unionized than Americans. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So I, I do want to uh, maybe touch on just for a minute the idea of that knock-on effect of what it could mean. I know we have seen a lot of attempts in Starbucks to you know, follow the unionization efforts of the United States, and there have been some successes to various degrees here in Canada for that unionization. If Amazon did have just that one starting place here, I, maybe it is Canadian exceptionalism to suggest that, but I, I do feel like the path to get more union shops here in Canada would be an easier one. Maybe kind of for the reasons you said, like we, we seem to be a culture here that likes the socialist things we have as long as we get one of them, as long as one of them happens and then maybe we won't fight to, to get rid of it. So, you know, it, I think it could be huge if it does happen. I wonder if the same sorts of, cause that's the other side of this. That's interesting too. The threats and intimidation that, you know, Amazon union busters use in the United States of, you know, you need everything you basically can. What if you got sick? You know, these sort of things won't have the same purchase here to the same degree because we do have a, a slightly better, I'll say that, social safety net when it does come to, uh, you know, protecting those that are in need. It's definitely not great. We talk about that every week, but I do wonder if the rhetoric would change and how it would change for union busters here uh, versus the United States. Well, I mean, I think, I think, look, organizing in Canada, I think would just have more value, obviously, because mm. like whether what, because Canada and the U S are obviously very close and, and we could talk about the history someday, but historically uh, the labor movement, uh, especially in the past, but even still today was a continental one. Yeah. Right. Like a lot of big unions are still today, continental like 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 my wife is a member of the united steelworkers she's in uh the united states right now at their international convention hey now right right you know awesome. the, the like you know the the before the split in the 80s the, the united auto workers before the canadian auto workers you were a uaw member in windsor or detroit you were a member of the same union Right. You know, mm-hmm. all, there's uh, there are still many unions today that are internationals. You know, right. The uh, IBEW, the ATU, there's still a lot of international unions out there. Right. Mm-hmm. But um, it still, I think, does have an effect like a, a cultural effect if it's organized in Canada. Now, one potential limitation of this one, because I had to look it up. The organizing union appears to be the Confederation des Syndicats Nationaux, the CSN, which is one of the big labor federations in Quebec. Quebec historically used to have a Catholic labor movement, right? Mm-hmm. It was literally like they were, it was a, it was, you didn't have to be Catholic to be a part of it, but the union was like a Catholic union, right? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, and they were, they were, they were, they secularized in like the 60s, I think, late 50s, early 60s. Uh, and they w- stopped being the Catholic Union and they just called themselves the, the Council, the Confederation of National Trade Unions. National as in the nation of Quebec, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they do not have very many members outside of Quebec. I believe the only union is that they have some prison guards. Mm. 
certain prison workers, because I think they have a, a local office here in Kingston, and I always wondered why, and I looked it up. But for the most part, they're, they're almost located entirely in Quebec. And so perhaps it'll be difficult, more difficult, for them to organize members um, outside of Quebec. Like, does the CSN doing this make it more difficult for... Um, mm more difficult than say if it was the United Steelworkers or if it was Unifor or if it was anybody else. Right. Yeah. So for the most part, yeah. yeah. I mean, they do have members outside of Quebec, but it's just most of their stuff is in Quebec. Right. Hmm. Uh, And so that might, that might make it a little bit, a little bit more difficult. Um, But maybe I'm wrong. And Hmm. maybe say SN has a plan to go beyond Quebec and organize other locals. There's nothing that would legally stop it, right? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. For th- for them to do that. So um, that's one concern. Like I mean, like one thing in the U.S. is like, you know, what the Amazon, like the Amazon labor union is is I think its own thing. It's not affiliated to a wider union, and so that would be one reason why it would be difficult. Like if let's say again the United Steelworkers or uh, the you know the Teamsters or whoever. Uh, organized Amazon in the States that would make it much more likely that that organizing could be directly parlayed into Canada because Mm. the United Steelworkers has staff on both sides of the borders, organizers and members and activists on both sides of the borders. Amazon labor union is its own thing, right? Yeah. And so like, that's, that's a thing. Starbucks United, I believe is largely its own thing as well, which is why many of the steel, the organ, the, the Starbucks in Canada that are organized are organized through the steelworkers. Right. And so all yeah. of this sort of kind of plays out in that way. So um, it might be the case that this doesn't have a direct connection to organizing in in um, uh, in English Canada. Mm-hmm. And there are cases where sometimes uh, industries are split up by jurisdictional differences or just random differences. Like uh, when you go to un- uh, universities in Canada, many and you have your TAs and your and your adjunct lecturers and all of this. Many of them are members of QP. But not all. Some are members of PSAC, mm. right? And it just kind of depends on which school you're at. And it's not necessarily hard and fast that there's a rule, right? Like there are some, you know what I mean? And so yeah, yeah. there's sometimes there's parallel organizing. It's not as if every Amazon factory would necessarily need to be organized by the same union, even in this country. Alrighty, so I do think, yeah, that's the insider scoop, maybe, on, on what's going to happen there in Montreal. There's definitely going to be an effect, as as much as you know, we it could be downplayed or not. If this did happen, it would be a big deal, even just for it to have the label as the second, only the second union uh, for Amazon in yeah, the in if, North if America. If it was to happen and not even spread, it would still be really neat, yeah. right? Like that would still thing, be a big right? deal. It would still have an effect. Yeah. So. We're definitely going to keep watching that. Uh, the big story this week that I wanted to talk to you about, Christo, is uh, something that we discussed here on the show for, I feel like, almost almost a month because there were so many ins and outs of it. And it really was an, an interesting uh, moment in Canadian politics that don't want to call it a deal. The the confidence agreement between the NDP and the the supply and confidence agreement, excuse me, between the NDP and, and Liberal Party that kind of guaranteed certain things that were necessary for the NDP not to try and push and 
kind of unseat the government as, as best they could. So wouldn't you know, this week we heard directly from Jagmeet Singh warning Justin Trudeau that their deal is dead if there's no dental planned by the year's end. He was speaking to the Toronto Star and he says, quote, I made it really clear to the prime minister directly. This has to happen. There's just no option for them. This has to happen. The deal stands on this. This is the deliverable for this year, 2022. We have no room for any error. We have no room for any exception. So some pretty clear language. I don't think he's going to be, you know, misconstrued on that one. It's very clear what the NDP is looking for. Now, if you don't remember, according to the deal, by the end of 2022, children of families with incomes of less than $90,000, which is, again, we don't need this means testing bullshit, must have but access the, to. The deal is the deal, right? The like deal we're, is we're the deal. Oper- <laughs> we're not operating under the assumption of, oh, Jugmeat. And we'll, we'll talk about this. Like Jugmeat's yeah. not trying to uh, make the deal more ambitious or accelerate it or anything. Mm. He's just sticking to the terms of the thing organized last year. Yeah, and as he says, 90,000 of income less than 90,000 must have access to subsidized dental care with those earning less than 70,000 having no copays and that's by the end of 2022. So by the end of this year in 2023, the program must expand to include children under the age of 18 as well as seniors and persons living with disabilities. Full program implemented by 2025. He also points out in this article that dental care isn't the only deal breaker. It's just the one that is the closest. You know, we're more than halfway through the year. Two deliverables has to happen, as he says. The $500 housing top-up for those that get the Canadian housing benefit, that has to get out the door. And kids under 12 have to be able to look after their teeth. Those are the two things, this is his quoting here, that I was very firm about in my meeting with the Prime Minister. And he understood very clearly those things have to happen. They don't have a choice which I think is a very, again, some strong rhetoric here from the NDP leader. So this is the situation we talked about when we first talked about this uh, confidence deal. If the liberals simply do not follow through, what will happen? We're hearing from Jagmeet. He's saying they're, you know, this is it. We're going to go for it. I guess he's not saying the consequences quite yet. He's just using language of it has to be like this. This is the only choice. If this happens, do you think, first of all, that Jagmeet will, you know, try to push for, uh, you know, unseating the government? What, what do you think will happen if the liberals don't do this to the letter? Yeah, I do think so. I mean, it, yeah. well, there's a there's a difficulty about like what Jagmeet can do on his own to pull down the government, because if Trudeau breaks the deal. But like, again, it's still a situation where at least hypothetically you need Singh and Blanchette and Bergen slash Polyevra, whatever, to 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 agree, right? Because Trudeau's minority is still pretty pretty strong. So yeah, we're in a situation <laughs> where, but like he can certainly exit the deal and basically remove that protection, which if Polyevra senses weakness or whatever, could could lead to an election maybe later this year, early in 2023, once the conservatives are done their leadership vote. Of course, though, if the bloc doesn't want one, they could. we could still be in a situation where we don't have an election. Um, but yeah, I do think so, because he made the deal. The deal was, was uh, perfectly reasonable, perfectly achievable, not too ambitious. Some people could say it's really not too ambitious, not nearly ambitious enough that the NDP maybe could have asked for more given that they were giving the liberals such a long window 
Yeah. You know, they, they were giving them that, you know, they should have demanded uh, more uh, uh, compensation, for lack of a better term, uh, mm -hmm. for, for their support. But, um, you know, I think that he could he certainly has to put his foot down at some point. And I think politically it makes a lot of sense because, you know, it, a lot of liberal NDP green kind of swing voters, if you will, people who vote in that cloud of people didn't want another election because they're at least not sickened by the fact that you have a liberal minority government. And the longer that stays, the better, right? Mm -hmm. um, and if you, if you have a stable NDP liberal agreement, you can effectively govern as if it's a majority. In a, in a, in a, like not, it's not a majority, it's not a coalition, but you can govern in the sense that you know that until the next constitutionally mandated election, like you're not going to have one, right? As long as the deal is honored. And mm -hmm. that made a lot of people happy. Right. A lot of liberal voters, a lot of NDP voters, a lot of green voters like that. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think, you know, if Singh making the deal was like a good thing for him to say, I understand that a lot of people want, you know, a stable, non-conservative government. And this offers that. So I think that gives Singh some credibility there. On the other hand, what this does is that if it breaks down, it allows him to disconnect from the liberal government and it also allows him to go to voters with a very clear reason why. This is not a nebulous, you know, we, we have better ideas than Justin Trudeau and he wasn't working with us, so we're calling an election sort of like election call. This is, we made a very clear deal with very clear timelines. The deal was, uh, you know, already a set of compromises. This was not our, you know, entire birthday, Christmas, mm -hmm. you know, Santa Claus wish list. <laughs> this was already a compromise between the government and us, and they broke their part of the deal. And so we can't support a government that doesn't want to keep uh, their part of the deal to help uh, all Canadians and in particular, the most vulnerable Canadians. And so we cannot support this anymore. Like, and that would be, I think, much more sellable to Canadians. Like one thing is that you're seeing a lot of liberals freak out as they mm -hmm. often do whenever Singh does anything. <laughs> yeah. But there are at least some, and I've, I, I shared one in the, in our, in our chat, but yeah. I, there are at it's least some liberals actually out there, some liberal partisans who, you know, defend Justin Trudeau for, in some cases when he does not deserve to be defended, say like, you know, this is, this is actually good. Like, like Singh is not, he's not, he's not changing the deal. He's not asking for more or for quicker. He's simply saying that, you know, we've made it clear the deal has to be honored and pressure needs to be put upon it. And some of the smarter liberal partisans out there have said, like, otherwise, what's the point of the fucking deal? <laughs> right? Like, that's the deal. I guess it also appeals to their, like, I guess it appeals also to this idea that, you know, they're, I believe in this government, but I, I don't, I'm not fanatic for them. They should just be a minority, and well, it's no, a some good of these thing. people even you know? are, like, but I think some of them also understand, like, they, they see, well, some of them, I think, uh, see the, 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 the NDP's role in society, and that there, yes. there's some historical yeah. basis for this. They, they're liberal partisans, but they almost see the NDP as like a good little brother to the, <laughs> to the liberals in the sense that the NDP uh, is smaller and should never govern. They, they don't want the NDP to ever govern. But the NDP proposes <laughs> really good ideas that the liberal party will moderate, make palatable, and then make Canada better. Like this is like one of these one of these things, right? Like, you yeah. know, the NDP will propose something, and the Liberals will say, "Well, not quite, but we can do this," and that that's a step forward. Like that's like the, the Liberal narrative, right? Um, mm -hmm. And a lot of them see this NDP Liberal deal as that manifested in very stark terms. 
And a lot of them, uh, you know, who, who, as we've seen in issue polling, support a lot of NDP policy, want what's in this bill, right? Want what's in this mm -hmm. deal. So I do think that there is the potential that Singh could make political headwinds. And I'm not suggesting, because some liberals are saying, oh, he's just, he's just grandstanding. Like, it's not that he's, he, he's saying we need to keep the terms of the deal. It's that he's already acting like the deal is down and that's bad faith, blah, blah, blah. But there are some indications that the liberals are worried they can't meet some of these timelines. Uh, and they're like, well, what do we do if we can't meet the dental care timeline, for instance? So I do think it's important that if the liberals are soft signaling that maybe the deal is going to be not get done or something, that Singh needs to come out and be very strong and say that's not good enough for us. So I do think he struck the right tone here. I do. I do. Do you think, think that? Do you think though that the the fear of causing you know national instability versus the uh, respect for a government that can actually do some, especially a liberal government that can kind of get the good ideas from the NDP, but making sure they don't govern like the, the people that actually had saw merits in this sort of deal that are absolutely avowed liberals. Do you think that that which of those impulses is stronger here? Because I, I do wonder that how most liberals will respond when Jagmeet, if, you know, we reach the end of the year and plainly, you know, Justin Trudeau comes out with something that is not to the letter. Maybe he does something close, but it's it's plainly not to the letter. I'm concerned that a lot of those liberals that are now saying, you know, it's reasonable, it's a good idea, will be spouting almost what we heard from the United States. You know, not in this election. Pierre Polyever represents this terrifying new threat of, you know, barbarism and populism, you know, Jagmeet should know better, almost throwing, you know, the blame onto uh, you know, the Green Party in the United States or something like that. Jill Stein. Right. So I'm just I'm wondering um, or Green Party candidate, I, I'm wondering where where you think this will land if you are doing some forecasting uh, in the minds of these this always enigmatic group, the Canadian liberal. I mean, I could see this hurting the liberals in the polls if the if it does get to that like i i wonder if this would make the biggest difference in red orange swing ridings mm -hmm. right like a lot of red orange ridings in toronto in southern bc in places like halifax where you could go to those people and say look i understand you're mad and you know like the argument a lot of liberals will be making is well we're not i understand we're upset here but we're not just going to make pierre polyever prime minister because we're upset. Mm -hmm. Like, that's going to be the argument, right? And you can yeah. go to those people and say, hey, look, you're, you're liberal MP, the liberal government, in, you know, uh, promised you a, a taste of NDP policy. A very limited, <laughs> very dull, very... Just a taste. Diet, diet, you know, whatever, right? But, diet but DP, like they, yeah. But they, but well, they that offered it to good. you. Never mind. Right? They offer... Yeah, exactly. That sounds pretty... Okay. Yeah. But, uh, uh, yeah, cut that, cut that, cut that. Yeah, um, cut, you cut, know, cut, cut, but, uh, but no, um... <laughs> Uh, the reality is that you could go to those people and say some of those really close Toronto ridings that we lost by like a, mm. a few a few points. Some cases like a couple hundred votes, right? Uh, like Spadina, Fort York, and yeah. or slash a lot of these ridings that are that are most almost all of which are held uh, by the Ontario NDP, and they're all identical. And go to these mm. people and say, look, um, you can keep a seat away from the Conservatives and send the Liberals a message that you know, they need to work with the NDP. 
and an even stronger mm. NDP will give them even more bargaining power. And I think there is a chance for that. Um, but, you know, honestly, I sort of think they're going to find some way to get it done. If yeah. the Liberals use a stopgap measure, like they said, just giving out money directly to families that need it as the interim, I don't know. I have to, I don't have to consult with Singh. But if the effect <laughs> is that every low-income child gets the dental care they need, then mm. the spirit of the deal is maintained short-term. If... Right. That language, though, man, he, he said, like, this has to happen. These yeah. are deliverables. We have no room for any error, no room for any exception. Yeah. So, like, I mean, in ooh. that case, yeah, I mean, Singh's being stronger than I am in that case. We'll have to see. We'll have to see. I don't know if the party's done polling on this. And they've mm -hmm. said that, you know, the NDP, like, if the NDP exits the deal in this context, are they punished for it or are they, you know, are rewarded for it or is it neutral or whatever? Is this just Singh acting on principle, saying basically, like, this is this is not about winning votes. This is about helping people. And mm -hmm. I came to Parliament to help people. And um, you know, the, the I thought this deal was the way to do it. And if it's not, then I'm not going to lie to Canadians. I mean, I don't know, right? Like, but yeah. you I hope think it's, it's good that to see. really. Yeah, I think it's good to see because we talked about this. We said there are concerns with the deal. One of the concerns is that it's very long. Mm -hmm. beyond like it not being ambitious enough one of the concerns was that it was very long but we said one of the one of the things that the deal offers is that it's not everything gets backloaded right to the back where they mm -hmm. basically say by 2024 2025 all of this will be done uh there's these milestones right and so when we said dental care was maybe the most likely to get done we said that on the assumption that one it was the first thing listed and it was the most specified remember like we said dent like pharmacare is in there but like it's like the milestones are vaguer yeah. if you if you recall mm -hmm. which made you think this would this could actually happen right well, it, well i'm not to specific. say that the other things can't also actually happen but it's more to say that it's more to say that um if you had to like if i was a betting man on like okay does this what what in this gets done and what doesn't get done then I would say like dental care, I would have put up fairly high on the list because mm -hmm. it's yeah. not that expensive. It's there was even a like, before the before the election. Uh, uh, I don't know if you remember. We've talked. I think we talked about this, but I certainly mentioned it in some of my writing and, and all that. The, the liberal, the, the Ministry of Health, the federal health ministry did a, a, a study, like a, like a, a short, like a mini study on the the value of a, a, a dental care plan basically identical to what the NDP ran on and kind of what this is to some degree and they said for not a lot of money you can do a lot of good and so I think mm -hmm. you know the liberals probably saw that and were like this is actually like a pretty big thing I know means tested blah 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 it is bad like I get it like yeah. I, I'm not a fan of means testing but like from a very practical sense like you can get this done also when we talked about this last time the way this is designed is that by effectively creating a federal program you don't have to deal with the provinces as much yeah. like pharmacare will require like you to get a deal with the provinces mm -hmm. all of them probably right like and then you're gonna have this you know you'll have to get something done with the provinces you have to like it's too big of a program, too complex that like yeah. you, you can't you can't just you know you'll you'll need to have provincial buy-in. Dental care like this 
does not require that, at least under the way the plan was structured. And so Trudeau and Singh could 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 conceivably build a dental care program, which is only going to cost $1.7 billion a year going forward. Uh, higher at the start as people get backlog dental care and all that. But like $1.7 billion to basically guarantee dental care in Canada. Because, you yeah. know, because... Again, it's not it's not universal, but it fills gaps is an incredible investment. It's an mm-hmm. incredible investment. And I guess it's such an expense for families. Like it really is thousands oh, yeah, and thousands of dollars a year if you have more than one kid. Like it's wild, man. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, I, I, I interrupt you there. You were going on a little uh, you're on a roll. But I just I think it's interesting to see the dynamics at play with Singh doing something very absolute. And I, I'm hoping that it is what you said, that simply put, you know, operating in Western politics, uh, federally here in Canada, unless you have a certain amount of power, there's not a lot of things you can just day one do to make people's lives better. But this was an opportunity for the NDP to demonstrably make people's lives better. People that did fall through the cracks and simply hadn't been to the dentist in 10 years easily. There's that time in, I think, a lot of people's lives where maybe you're under your parents' plans and then all of a sudden you realize you're not under that anymore. Like, that's just an anecdotal experience. But like, I think it's a a lot of middle class people like you go to university, even like you get a plan at university limited as it is like like an undergraduate standard plan and you can get your cleanings but then maybe you go into the workforce and you know all of a sudden you're you you have a job but it's you know it's you work part-time or you freelance or whatever you might even make a decent bit of money it's not you know you might make you know a a middle-class salary but you still have to pay heavy money out of pocket because you don't have benefits at work right Yeah. And I think even that's obviously not the constituency that will benefit the most out of this. But the the idea that this is something that could help the middle class, the quote unquote middle class people that are falling through the cracks and those that just maybe even never can uh, get close to this because economically it's such a barrier is huge. So the fact that he's willing to quote unquote, put our democracy at risk is what one tweet I saw. I thought that mostly people are just yeah, laughing that's at that such person. Bullshit, man. Like, <laughs> like, look, first of all, even if Singh just because was going to yeah. cancel the deal, like, I, I don't think that would be the right thing to do. Like, like that would be just as bad if Singh just, if Trudeau was meeting the terms and canceled the deal, then yeah, that would be really bad. And I, we would say like that Singh was, Singh was the bad guy in the sense. Cause like he made a mm-hmm. deal to Trudeau and then reneged, right? You know what I mean? Like that would be bad, but no, for well, a couple things. One, Singh simply wants the terms of the deal met. And yeah. if the terms of the deal are met, this government will go until 2024. Technically, like, you know, I don't know why, but like the the, the, the four-year election window is actually just a, a recommendation. In Canada, you actually only need to have an election once every five years. So you could, you know, the, the tradition sort of dictates it's four, uh, which is why like a majority government will often mm. end after four <laughs> years. But you can go five like you could just get rid of the Elections Act because it's just that's just a bill and you, know, mm. you can just get rid of it. You can go five years in Canada, but but it'll, it'll go the full four years um, um, and that'll be that. But if Trudeau doesn't keep the deal, it's not Singh's fault. And of course, we have to operate under the assumption that because the liberals broke their electoral reform promise, that's why we're just a few suburban yeah. like wine moms away from a polyevra majority, right? Like that's what yeah. we're fucking looking at here. Whereas if we had a proportional system, then yeah, like look, in the last election, 
Aaron O'Toole would have won a narrow seat victory. Mm-hmm. You know, he would have three or four more seats, there, eight or nine more seats than Trudeau. But the, 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 the NDP would have way more seats, and the Greens would have a decent chunk too. And this is before you factor in that in a proportional system, you likely see more people voting for the Greens and the NDP because they feel their votes aren't wasted, right? Like, you know, all yeah. of that, right? But, like, let's just say people voted the exact same way, like they didn't change their behavior. Um, you know, you would have a situation where you could still have the exact same deal. And so what, you know, the, the, all the liberals saying, oh, we're like, we're, we're so close to a, P- a polyevra majority and all this. And it's like, well, that's your fucking fault. Like, you're, yeah. you're, you know what I mean? Like, the, or, the, or at least the government you support. It's not saying making sure that, you know, yeah. every poor little per, every poor little kid can get their cavities fixed. Like, it's definitely fucking not that. Yeah. That yeah. is not the reason that yeah. we might have this other lunatic as prime minister. That's so yeah. wild when you put it in those yeah. terms, man. Like, it's just it's more than a little yeah. upsetting. And it's like this is I think overall, though, like as we kind of finish up on this one this is something that i think should things should be lauded for like these are this is a good position to have you know i i think i appreciate the the affirmative and declarative language this is there is no choice we will not you know relent like this is he didn't say will not relent i added that one but you know this sort of language that is so clear and firm at the very least politicking aside he is going to make sure to the best of his ability, that dental services for at least more Canadians that didn't have it beforehand will have it that year. And that is a win in like an old fashioned political sort of way. That's a sort of win where people might vote for you for life just because you actually gave them something as small as it is, depending on, you know, how destitute you can be in this fucking country. That is something that could get you a voter forever. So even politically, I think it just makes sense. And it's a good move overall. Anything else on it before we uh, we move on? No, I think this is I think it's good. I think that he has to be strong on it. And I think that he needs to kind of telegraph it because if the deal is going to collapse, kind of he, people need to know, right? Everyone yeah. who's like, oh, <laughs> he should just stay silent and be more uh, optimistic. Well, like he has been for a long time, right? Like he was very optimistic about the deal. I mean, he pushed really hard for the deal and he's gotten a lot of pushback from some NDPers on it. Uh, I think with a lot of legitimate critiques and just a lot of fucking bile from right wingers who are just crying because daddy, daddy Pierre can't be prime minister for another two years because of the deal. Right. Like, you know what I mean? But like, um, he needs to let people know, like, you know, the government could fall over this and every step of the way I've been open with Canadians about what I expect. We've written it down and you know, goals aren't being met. And I think that this is a good start. So we'll see. I am hopeful that the deal survives. I, I, cause I think that there's good things in there. Uh, but who knows? Um, yeah. But if, if the deal collapses over this, like I'm going to die on the hill of defending Singh on that 100 <laughs> percent. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think that uh, even, even you know, I think I, I think that people are going to have to be ready to kind of push back against a lot of liberal propaganda, because if the deal collapses, because, as you said, little kids have teeth rotting in their mouths and the yeah. liberals are too busy with whatever to, to do something about that. Well, then fuck them. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Boom. I think yeah. that's that's a nice thing to <laughs> to end that off of. And I guess just to, uh, not to uh, get, keep adding and adding, but if you're some of our listeners that have been really critical of Singh in the past, you know, I want to hear from you of what you think 
about this because I I hope unless I'm missing something, but I think Chris and I are on the same page here. This seems to be a moment wherein he's trying to do something that will absolutely benefit Canadians, even if there is a cost, maybe politically, we're debating whether or not that is, but he's trying to push something in our political system to help people who are in need. It's perhaps a very principled stand, and I can't tell you how many people in our Discord server are angry that the NDP isn't taking more principled stands, Here's one right here. So if you're, you're yeah. looking for an opportunity to support, maybe now is a chance. So, yeah, I'm I'm excited to see the response to that. Uh, speaking of such, if you do want to join our little community, patreon.com slash left turn Canada, uh, growing community every single day. We're actually thinking about starting something new next week. Uh, Christo and I, if you want to listen to the show live, uh, become a Patreon subscriber. It's a buck a month is the minimum and we're we're trying to testing this new idea of actually showing you how the sausage is made so to speak and recording live in the channel there and uh yeah you wouldn't be on the show but you would be listening to it and, and also we do we're want to look about, at maybe yeah, doing another lot uh tw- twitter spaces thing we did that for election night the ontario election and that was really great mm-hmm. uh, where a lot of you uh you know weighed in and, and were a part of the show and that was a lot of fun and i don't think we could do that every week obviously but if we could find a way to do that on a regular basis or kind of uh, prioritize, you know, big nights, whether it's elections or, you know, maybe maybe uh, the, the uh, Pierre's coronation, we can do it that night or something. <laughs> we'll, we'll certainly look into that because that was a lot of fun. We really. Enjoyed yeah, it, it, it was a lot of fun. And also, you know, a big part of why Christo and I are, are doing this is to speak to a lot of oh, y'all to make the and big to bucks. try to, to, just to make yeah so that's much it money. yeah just so much that's money the leftist yeah. uh canadian in particular podcasting that oh that's look where... i just gotta say this we haven't weighed in on this a lot we're not going to because it's, it's kind of inside ball but you know there's the, all that controversy in the communist party and just yes. the, one of the funniest things in that there's a really great piece written by jeremy appel on it just a fantastic piece of journalism uh covering it and the Communist Party, uh, some of the people there are accusing a lot of the defectors who effectively left over uh, a young person being uh, uh, mistreated, uh, you know, and then the party not responding in, in nearly appropriate, uh, a nearly appropriate enough fashion that they're all doing it so that they can become rich on the <laughs> on the media circuit after. And I'm like, who are you? There's not even like it's yeah. not even a CTV like yeah. a banner story on the bottom. Like no, no one cares no. about that, unfortunately. No. Yeah. In in our system. And even if yeah. it was, yeah. you're not gonna get the money from that. Like how yeah, many yeah. times have you done spots in mainstream uh you know? Oh yeah, media? you almost never get paid for that. Because well because well normally it's cause, well normally it's uh it's it's academic I haven't done yeah. it a lot recently. I used to do it more when I was affiliated with the university. They're, they they mm. they don't they don't care about you. They just want your title, right? So Yeah, absolutely. They want like professor or PhD like you know, not PhD, they want professor or lecturer in history or whatever, poli sci. They want that. Uh but yeah, you're you you know you do it almost all for free. The only time I really got paid for that was when I would do uh CBC syndication cuz that t- mm. takes a significant portion of your day. Uh, that you basically do like 15 interviews in three hours and Jeez. like, and you do the same one over and over again <laughs> for all of the you do CBC Montreal, CBC Quebec City, CBC Fredericton, CBC Halifax, CBC Charlottetown, CBC Moose Jaw, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and you do all of that and um, they pay you for that and they pay and they pay quite fairly. 
Uh, but other well, than that, it's, you, you do it's all for free. Yeah. Well, Christo, you know, my radio background, I can't tell you how many times I was calling, uh, you know, people like you. And yeah. while I, you know, being on the radio in Toronto and this was, again, maybe five or six years ago, but still making minimum wage. Oh, yeah. And, and speaking to that, like it's it's not a lucrative field. It's not designed <laughs> to do that. Podcasting absolutely is not that's that's not what we're trying to do this it's because i i think we talked about this almost over a year ago now we didn't really find a lot of media a lot of podcasts in particular that tried to talk about what was going on in canada from that leftist perspective so with that in mind i really do want to hear from all of y'all we've been doing this for more than a year i'm just you're finishing up the show here now not forever just for this week yeah yeah no 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 not that uh yeah. but if you have some ideas if there's things you really liked if there's things you didn't like like we we absolutely want to know so please send us any sort of correspondence whether it is on twitter uh at left turn canada whether it is to christo to i or uh left turn canada at gmail.com Anything you want to say, if there's something you really liked or didn't like, we want to know because we want this to to grow and reflect the the people who are listening. So we're absolutely going to do more of those live things. We're absolutely going to try out um, these Twitter spaces because that kind of introduced us to people that weren't aware of the show. You know, if you're listening now because of Twitter spaces, we'd like to hear that, too, because that's that was pretty cool. We had a lot of uh, new people with that. And mostly we want to thank all of you for uh, allowing us to, to talk and giving us at least an hour of your time a week is a lot. So we, we do appreciate it. And you're going to hear more from us uh, in the future. Damn, it sounds like I'm finished the show like it sounds like i'm saying we're all we're done now but it's no. not what i'm trying we're to say we're not going anywhere you can't get rid of us that easily there we go boom 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 we'll see y'all next week